I'm Joanna Fortune, psychotherapist and author of the 15-minute parenting series of books. Welcome to my 15-minute parenting podcast, where I take a common parenting struggle and break it down with practical, playful solutions. Let's get going. In today's episode, I really wanted to talk about the importance of building a strong intergenerational self for your child. And that sounds a little bit convoluted and complicated when actually the route to it is is a playful one, as is so many things. Um, But the route to developing an intergenerational self is about stories and particular, particularly rather family stories the stories that we live by. And as people, we do live storied lives and we exist and live within a storied world. You know, the stories we live by, especially the stories that run in our families, often through generations, you know, that are passed down by great grandparents to grandparents, to your parents, to you and to your children. They can either, you know, mobilize us, you know, motivate us to take action, to do things, or they can immobilize us. They can limit us in some way. We'll believe by virtue of, oh, well, that's how it's always been in our family. Oh, that's a trait in our family that we are somehow inhibited or limited by that family story. So they can mobilize us or immobilize us. But either way, because we are we live storied lives in a storied world, we have to think about the stories that we're living by, be curious about that and not see them as something that restricts us, but just see it as something that we, by deepening our understanding about, that we can actually make really big changes in our lives. And I feel quite excited about that. I I think it's really important to realize what stories we are telling ourselves about ourselves, about others, the stories we've absorbed others tell about us. Um, When we talk about our lives, be that to our children or to anyone or even just ourselves, you know, we use stories in lots of ways in our lives. We use, um, We use stories to inform others, to introduce ourselves, to introduce a new concept, to connect over shared experiences, to say when we feel wronged or or hurt, um, to sort out our thoughts and feelings about something. It's a story. We say, tell me a time when that happened. What do you mean? Tell me what's going on. All of that is about using stories because stories serve to organize our thoughts, um, help us to find meaning or make meaning, find purpose in our lives, in experiences, in what's going on, and ultimately to establish our identity in the world outside of us. So our sense of well-being is highly reliant on our family narrative. The stories we've been told, the stories we've understood and perceived, the sort of gaps we filled in or were filled in for us, the stories we've used to pattern, explain our behaviors and the behaviors of others, I should add in there. And research, there's plenty of research in this area, actually, and it, it tells us that children who know a lot about their families tend to do better in situations of stress or emotional crisis than those of us who do not know as much about our families. And, you know, having that strong intergenerational self is really important in, you know, becoming articulate, confident, able to speak up in a group, becoming emotionally resilient 
And I think when I talk about the intergenerational self, just let me be clear that that's an understanding that we are part of a system that is bigger than ourselves, that we come from something and someone that came before us and there will be something and someone who comes after us that the first system any of us are born into is a family system and that's why the intergenerational self that we carry are stories about our families through the generations and you know the stories of our origins fascinate us they can bewilder us and haunt us too I should say but they do fascinate us above all else and we know this ourselves in how our young children love to hear us talk about you know when they were born obviously not the biology of that story but you know the nice what was going on when they were born they love to hear times when they were little and they adore hearing about our childhood and when we were little and tell me a time this happened to you and what were you like when you were little what did you play what was what was nanny and granddad like when you were growing up and again as I said you know sometimes recalling those experiences isn't warm and fluffy and it can actually be quite triggering and activating so do attune to that and understand that you were the editor of your own story when it comes to sharing that with your child. You can share as much or as little as feels appropriate and comfortable for you. But when you're aware that you're editing, deleting, rewriting a story, you know the real story, but you're making those conscious choices, make sure that you can create a space that there is a someone in your life, maybe even a paid professional who can listen to you make meaning out of the true story as well. You owe that to yourself and you deserve that as well. But when we think about stories of origins, I often think about, you know, stories of, you know, that we know, like, the you know, Oedipus and Jocasta and, you know, stories like that, that we can see evidence of what not knowing our own story can also bring up for us. The gaps that that leads to, the blind spots that that can create for us in terms of our behavior and the not knowing Why is it we do the things we do and the not knowing and not understanding why sometimes life is working out the way it does or why does a family member behave in a certain way? If we don't know the story behind that behavior, it can be very hard for us to make meaning of it and to make sense of it. But hold in mind that you know, I keep coming back to that piece about we can rewrite the stories we live by, we can change the stories we live by. And I I would back that up with saying, you know, we're always creating new chapters in our family narrative, because there comes that time when we're in the driving seat, and we can write new parts of the family narrative that will be passed down to our children, rather than just passing on what came before us, or certainly not only passing on those bits. So one of the pieces of research that's out there was conducted by two researchers called um, Dr. Marshall Duke and Dr. Robin Favouche and they developed a thing it's back in 2008 I think called the DYK test or do you know test basically what they were setting out to explore in terms of you know they had this anecdotal hypothesis that children who know a lot about their families be that good or bad stories about their families tend to cope better in times of emotional stress and crisis now why is that and how is that and how can we all create or develop this intergenerational self for our children. So they developed a 20 question interview that would explore, you know, um, your knowledge of family stories and how a high versus low level of knowledge is going to be reflected in these kind of overt behaviors of confidence, being articulate and having a high level of emotional resilience. And one of the things that emerged from this study was 
that they reflected on every family has a unifying narrative, generally speaking. And this narrative takes one of three distinct tones or distinct roots. There's the ascending narrative, you know, the family stories that are, oh, we came from nothing and we worked our way up and look at what we are now and look at what we have now. Or your family may orient around a descending narrative. We had it all and lost it all. And that's why we are the way we are. Once upon a time, we owned this and this and this and your great grandparents lost it. And this is why we are where we are. Stories like that. Or this third one, which I think is more common for many of us, is one that is the oscillating narrative. You know, basically within our family stories, we've had ups and downs, highs and lows, but ultimately we've gotten through it as a family and we have supported each other and pulled upon each other to get ourselves through it. Regardless of the tone, that our own family narrative takes. What really matters is that we grow up knowing that we're part of that system bigger than ourselves, part of a family history. And history means there was a lot that came before us. And knowing that our families have experienced highs and lows and come through it all offers us the opportunity to retell those stories. But now with evidence of fresh thinking and new perspective. So you're saying, yeah, you know, at the time it probably felt this way. But now that you look back, you know, it was a different time. It made sense then. But how it would go now is quite different. And we've learned a lot about that. And that's an ability to recall something from that point of view that is fresh and offers a new angle on what's historically been passed down. And that's a valid way of doing it. And look, you can look up online the DYK test or the do you know test. But, you know, the, I'll just run through some of the questions with you. And as I do, you can just answer in your head, you know, yes or no. Do you know the answer to these questions? And don't worry if you don't know all of them. Don't worry if you don't know a lot of them. If you know even one you have a place to start in telling a story of your family to your children and beginning that intergenerational piece and passing it forward. So I'm going to just say, you know, do you know how your parents met each other? Do you know where your mother grew up? Do you know where your father grew up? Do you know where your grandparents grew up? Do you know the story of how your grandparents met each other, of how your parents met each other? Do you know what was going on when you were being born? You know, the whole family story around that. And do you know the source of your name? And I think that can be a really nice one to start with, even thinking to yourself, do you know why you're called what you're called? Is that after somebody? Is it because your parents really love the name? Was there an alternative name they almost called you but decided not to? What was that name and why did they change their mind? And even thinking about your own child and the name you've given them, why did you decide to give them that name? What does that name mean to you? Because the name we give our children is always loaded in symbolism, in desire, in hope for them. You know, so um, was there another name you almost gave them but didn't and why not? Because immediately you have a story that you can tell about yourself and your own name. But if you do not know that story, you can pass along the story of their name and how they acquired that. There's always some place that you can start. Um, you know, the questions go on, you know, do you know which person in your family you are said to look most like? Do you know the person in your family you're said to behave most like? You know, do you know some of the things that happened to each of your parents when they were at school? Um, do you know 
um, some awards that they won while they were at school or some injuries that they got when they were younger, family illnesses when they were younger. There's lots of questions like that. And I think one of the interesting things about the do you know test is question 20. And it asks, do you know about a relative whose face froze in a grumpy position because he or she did not smile enough? And that one is there to remind us that not everything our families tell us is true. And we should keep an open and critical, curious mind about the detail of some of those family stories. You know, when we exchange stories and we discuss stories together, we have the opportunity to co-construct new meanings in response to how the other person recalls an event that might be different from ours or align with ours. And, you know, that kind of an exchange of story will also allow us to fact check, to fill in blanks or to even identify any confusions or distortions that we might be holding in our interpretations or our recall that could be based on how we remember something um, or even based upon a version of something that we were told. And now a great aunt or an aunt could say, no, that's not the story at all. This is the story. And it isn't about dismissing your own recall or what you've been told. Um, it's it's actually just thinking of ways that we can pad out or enrich the stories that we're living by. So even if you know some of those answers, you don't know others, if you are lucky enough to still have access to your own parents and you can go back and fill in some of those gaps, do that. Or if you have a family member who could do that with and for you, do it that way. And indeed, even recalling things about growing up, talk to your siblings if you have siblings and prepare yourself for you each having different versions of the same stories. Because stories are powerful. However we access them, whatever we know about them, they are powerful. And when we can identify our role in our own story, as well as, you know, the various individual components or elements to the story that enables us to begin to understand our lives in a different way, to understand the world that we're a part of in a way that people who don't have that knowledge about their stories will never get to experience. It's a really creative um, way that we can imagine and wonder and make meaning of the lives we're living and stories in general not just family stories that we live by or learn as we're growing up stories in general because they have imaginative power and they fully engage all areas of our brain and our children's developing brains have a much greater impact than simply reporting facts in a linear fashion you know so when people embellish and enrich a story and they add in bits to make it a more engaging story so long as the, the the core elements of the story are there and accurate and true we don't need to be that's not right that's not accurate because there's something about the musicality and fluency of a rich story that will stimulate all those parts of our brain and when that kind of engagement and memory are controlled and focused in a positive way and the story that's being told is a joyful one our brain's love of storytelling can also be a, a root to healing and happiness and relearning about something in a different way. And, you know, finding, I suppose we'd say finding the words to say it enables a process of reflective functioning. And that is what I've already said to you, you know, recalling something, but from a position of fresh thinking and new perspective. So in recalling it, it doesn't bring us back there, but it allows us to tell it with new perspective. And 
that's really, really important because it enables our stories to become a part of us rather than being apart from us. And if we can give that gift to our children, make sure that they grow up with storied lives, with stories about their lives and our lives, they've already got a way to break that cycle. If we don't know a lot about our stories of what we come from, we can change that for our kids going forward. So get telling stories. Start with the story of your child's name. Make sure they know that one and see where you go from there. Be good and kind to yourself in this one, though, because sometimes recalling our family stories is not an easy journey to make. And if you would benefit from talking that through with somebody who is skilled and qualified in the area, you know, like a therapist, um, a psychotherapist, a counsellor, I would strongly encourage you to do that. Thank you for listening. I'd love if you could leave a positive review, share this with a friend or a few friends, or even subscribe to the podcast. It really helps others to find it and helps with visibility online. You can also follow me on Instagram at Joanna Fortune or on Twitter at the Joanna Fortune. No E at the end of that. Tune in next time for more 15-minute parenting.